Welcome back to Bachelor on the Couch, the podcast where comedy becomes clinical. Today, we are talking about operant conditioning and mood incongruency. So as always, that's Liv. That's Jenna. Take a seat on the couch. are you today welcome back i am great how are you i am tired but good i don't have too many complaints can you believe sorry i cut you off (laughs) so i had nothing important to say (laughs) you always have important things to say don't lie to me (laughs) um can you believe it's almost the end well okay it's the middle of september but it feels like it's almost the end the end of time, the end of joy. <laughs> That's how the I feel about world. Entering That's how I feel about entering colder weather. Yeah. But we are also reaching the end of The Bachelorette. And I feel like this season has been so long and yet nothing has happened. I know. I feel like it's the same thing every single week. Yeah. Because it is, but. Because it is. <laughs> But they've the fact that they stretched out the finale to two weeks is confusing to me because like at this point, both women only have one man left. So like, what could we possibly do for two hours next week? Right. Who knows? Probably put some commercials in there. We love some product placement and a live <laughs> studio audience. Yeah. Honestly, if uh, they do that again, I might be really annoyed. Yeah, same. So what were some of your standout moments? Last night's episode, I found myself getting very frustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think my biggest standout moment was just something that truly like broke my heart was after Avon and Rachel's like conversation and like where that relationship ended in his like aside in his like own interview he sat there and he said I failed and that moment I don't think I was the only one because I think I saw some like people on Twitter too that moment broke my heart like this poor man who did everything to fight for this relationship and did everything to be honest and logical and caring and forthcoming think that he was in the wrong and be in not saying that necessarily someone was in the wrong or wasn't, but just to take all of that blame and all that responsibility and to like internalize it so much. And just like, I failed. I literally was like, I wanted to reach in and grab him and give him a hug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It hurt my heart. So very sad, sad moment Yeah. of, of uh, Tuesday's episode. Yeah. What about you? What did um, something that stood out to you? Hopefully a cheery moment. If not, that's cool too. <laughs> I'm not sure this is cheery, but there was one moment where Jesse, the host, um, asked Rachel if her friends like influenced some decision or something. Yeah. Um, and I was like, first of all, Rachel got defensive, which as she should, because they're her close friends. Um, yeah. But then it was just, I felt like it was just an odd, random, very like blunt question. 
mm-hmm. that I don't know like what why did he need that answer I don't know why the audience would want that answer either yeah it felt a little like like throwing your friends under the bus are they the relationship this didn't work out yes yeah it didn't work out for because right. that relationship didn't work out right but he was like almost like blaming them oh yeah, um, I didn't think about it like that, but I think you make a really good point. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah, noticing these standout moments aren't necessarily feel good. <laughs> Are there any feel good moments from this episode? Um, let's see. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much tension. I didn't I couldn't focus on the good parts. <laughs> I agree. I think even in the like live watching it back, like the live audience and having Gabby and Rachel there watching it too live that just I felt like it added this layer of discomfort so I am both interested and a little nervous going into next week the two hours two hours of I'm not really sure and yeah I don't know I I just I don't Based on the information that we have, I don't feel super optimistic that these women are going to get the happy endings. And I know at the beginning of the season, that was something that we really talked about. Like these women, like everyone deserves to be in situations that make them feel good. And especially after what they went through last season and to just kind of see this season play out, I I'm not feeling super optimistic that they are both happy in relationships or engaged or whatever it is. Yeah, there's very much a gray area, I feel like, mm-hmm. in this episode and then probably next episode as well. Just like, and I, I know I know it's the show um, and like reality TV, that's kind of like, everything's like all up in the air and especially with a TV show that's about, you know, like marriage and romance and everything, um, the gray area is going to happen. But I feel like especially this season, there it just feels like a heavier gray area. Yeah. And I, I maybe if that's like because there's two of them, right, we've got two leads. So that adds uncertainty for one times two. Um, I'm not sure if that contributes <laughs> to it. Math. Um, math. I'm not sure if kind of the amount of group dates that were canceled this season, I feel like is an all-time high. Like maybe if we had had a couple more group dates, there'd be more men ready for engagement. Also, I'm I'm intrigued by the like focus and priority around like it has to end in an engagement. Like what are we mm-hmm. after? Are we after a happy happily ever after with a partner who's going to respect us and make us happy are we looking for a shiny rock on our finger like what is our goal not to say one is better than the other just what is like what are we looking for I don't know about you I'm nervous for next week yeah me too well I know you wanted to talk about something very near and dear to our hearts because I know we learned about this in psych 101 (laughs) I was like, is it near and dear to our hearts? Because I need to diagram every time I talk about it to make sure I talk about it correctly. I just remember learning about it like 5 million times in like in Psych 101. I agree. 
I feel like I've gone over this concept a hundred times. And again, still need a diagram because (laughs) I will mess it up 100% of the time if I am not looking at something visual. (laughs) Well, help us out. (laughs) (laughs) So um, a theme that came to mind for me is operant conditioning. And operant conditioning is a, um, is it a theory? Is that what we would constitute it as? Yeah. Okay, we'll call it a theory. If we're wrong, please don't come for us or do. It'll boost our ratings. Operant conditioning is a theory that was researched and laid out by B.F. Skinner. And it is a process by which humans or animals, by like it is a process in which individuals learn behaviors. Um, They learn behaviors as a way to either obtain rewards or to avoid punishments. Um, so it's about, it's a way of our learning and a way of kind of continuing how we act or maybe getting rid of behaviors in which that we act and in operant conditioning, there are four different types. This is like the second week this season where I talk about something that I like want to draw a graph for. (laughs) I'm noticing. (laughs) What will our Instagram post be? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, so here's a visual cue because I'm lost without it. (laughs) And we've just created a really visual based uh, podcast um, for this auditory thing. Sorry. You'd think I'd learn. I don't. Anyway. (laughs) So we've, what we're doing for all the four categories, we're looking at either giving something or removing something to either increase or decrease a behavior. So the first one that we talk about um, is positive reinforcement. So this is the idea of we're giving something in order to increase uh, behavior. So an example that I can think of from the show is when when a or someone who is after the bachelorette's affection is being open with them and honest with them and sharing details about themselves so that they can further the relationship, it's typically rewarded with a rose. So we're offering this reward, this pot, this reinforcement. We are adding in this rose to ideally increase the likelihood of this person, this man in the case of the bachelorette, opening up to the bachelorette yes next next up kind of looking at negative reinforcement so this is the idea of taking something away to then increase the likelihood of a behavior and i thought of this idea of negative reinforcement looking at rachel and avon's breakup because he the conversation after her family visit when she's questioning him about what he said to her friends and how it was different than what she said to what he said to her, he had said something along the lines of, I don't just want to tell you what you want to hear. I want to be open with you and honest with you because I want this. I see us as a future. And it looked and it appeared very much if the behavior that is in question, him saying or being ready for this engagement in two days, if the if the behavior we're trying to increase the likelihood of is him saying, yes, I'm ready for an engagement with you. It was being reinforced by, in a sense, taking away the 
rose, the possibility of a future, this like taking away this thing that feels good. So I kind of thought of that negative reinforcement patterns of she really wanted him to say what she what she wanted to hear. And in order to have that happen was taking away maybe her effort in the relationship, whether or not that's true. But I, I think that's what we kind of saw as viewers. For next up, if we move down, then we look at giving something to decrease, uh, decrease the likelihood of a behavior. So we call this positive punishment, which sounds like, I don't know about you, Liv, but it sounds almost counterintuitive, a positive punishment. <laughs> So a positive punishment, we are adding something to decrease the likelihood of, of a behavior. So something that I saw again between Avon and Rachel was she was crying when they were breaking up. She was crying and she was very visibly upset and she was demonstrating that. And what he was giving was he was giving apologies. He kept apologizing. And we saw, I talked about earlier, him saying he failed, him taking a lot of that responsibility. But the thing that he was giving, apologies, in the attempts to decrease the behavior of her crying, of her being very upset, of her kind of having those actions, decreasing the behavior of her maybe walking away. And then the last one we have is negative punishment, which is we take something away to decrease the likelihood of a repeated behavior. And this one, I had a hard time thinking of an example from the show, just because I think the idea of taking something away, um, like a day-to-day example might be, we are taking away a kid's electronics because the kid skipped school. So we're trying to decrease the behavior of them skipping school by taking something away. But I had a really hard time kind of thinking about that in Bachelor Nation context. And I don't think we saw as much of that versus I think in this last episode, we I saw and noticed negative reinforcement and positive punishment. Yeah, I didn't really see much of the negative punishment either. It was a lot of the reinforcement you said, right? Mm-hmm. I saw yeah. like a decent amount of positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. I think the roses are a really great mm-hmm. indication of that. We're positively reinforcing something by giving a rose or we're negatively reinforcing by not necessarily taking away the rose, but like taking away the continued relationship. So that was something that stuck out to me, just kind of noticing how we saw a lot of Rachel this week because she had two men as opposed to Gabby had one left. So I think that's why, but kind of noticing that reinforcement and how that maybe respond, how that shows up when we're looking at behaviors in reality TV. Um, I know what you wanted to talk about today also kind of looked at Rachel. I think that brought it up for you too. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you (laughs) and I will shut up. (laughs) Thank you. I never want you to shut up though. <laughs> Don't lie to me. Yeah. So in this episode, I saw Rachel do something called mood incongruency. And I'm going to back up and give definitions of mood congruency and mood incongruency. Um, this can honestly be seen in anyone <laughs> at any time, any any particular situation or instance. Um, 
But also a lot of times you sometimes see this mood incongruency in individuals with psychosis, um, hallucinations, delusions. Um, So mood congruency, it's basically what it sounds like. So it's the consistency between a person's emotional state with the situation and circumstances being experienced by the persons at that time. So for example, if someone is at a funeral with other people who are attending that funeral, usually at a funeral, right? And the norm is to be sad, to cry. Um, So someone would be mood congruent if they were crying along with the other peeps. (laughs) With the other peeps instead of raging on the coffin. (laughs) Yes. Um, in contrast, mood incongruency occurs when an individual's reactions or emotional state appear to be in conflict with the situation. So back to the funeral example, if someone were to laugh or, you know, at a very, at a time when everyone's supposed to be sad, um, their mood would be incongruent with the situation, A lot of times you also see this when like the mood incongruency, um, say someone is saying, hey, I'm really sad, but their body language is telling you some something different. So Mm -hmm. they're smiling, they're laughing, yet they're saying in like a very blunt manner, like I'm sad, I I'm like so, so depressed, but they're, they're smiling at the same time. Um, so in terms of where I saw it in the episode, I would say right off the bat, Rachel, I observed that she showed some mood incongruency when she was saying she was sad about a particular guy, but she didn't seem sad like her face wasn't sad her body language wasn't sad um it was very like upright and there were no tears and she was going on and on about how sad and upset she was yet she was not showing it Mm -hmm. um so that is an example of mood incongruency and then for mood congruency in the show, I would say a lot of the men showed their sad feelings, um, you know, when they got rejected or, or sent home. Um, they were saying that they were upset, that, you know, this, this is the worst possible thing that could happen, and they were showing it in their bodies. So they were either, like, tearing up they were hunched over, um, you know, they, they were frowning. Um, so that is an example of mood congruency. I didn't know if you, anything popped up for you, Jenna, in terms of that. My brain goes to Zach and Rachel's conversation before the rose ceremony of kind of her listening and her identifying like She identified some emotions around confusion, around kind of sadness, but in terms of demonstrated like 
in terms of demonstrated affect, I think we saw some confusion and a little bit of frustration. So it's not quite, which isn't entirely incongruent, but just noticing the differences of saying and articulating one emotion and maybe demonstrating another versus I think Zach identifying kind of confusion and frustration and having that really embodied as well in his body language and the tone of voice. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts when it comes to incongruency. I know that mood incongruency you mentioned can be really common with people with psychosis and people don't have to experience psychosis to have mood incongruency as demonstrated by Rachel on this episode, for example. Um, for people who maybe aren't experiencing psychosis, but have those moments of mood incongruency, do you think there's an element of it that is like protective? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of times someone may not want to be like open or vulnerable and show how, you know, they're, they're truly feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot of times you see this also in like, you know, people will joke about, Oh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm severely depressed and not, not in a joking way, but in a very like, oh, it's not like serious. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is a protective factor in itself too, mm -hmm. of not wanting to maybe like open up right away. Um, even if they actually feel that way, kind of like brushing it off. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 I'm just curious about that because one, I don't want people to think like, well, if that happens to me, does that mean, no, it doesn't mean that you're mm -hmm. psychotic. Uh, it could, but it doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean, but I'm, yeah, I'm curious too about this idea of sometimes if we're feeling really, really low, we're feeling really depressed, not showing that almost showing mm -hmm. apathy that like, curious how that relates and if it has something to do with maybe discomfort being vulnerable discomfort right. showing right. that emotion or yeah. I think um there's a big stereotype where the emotion that's appropriate for men to show is anger that's not necessarily true but this a lot of social pressure where if a man shows anger that is almost I'm putting this in quotes like expected or acceptable versus like a woman showing anger is deemed as like unacceptable again in quotes and so a woman being super angry and yet maybe demonstrating a different emotion or acting out a different emotion to like cover and protect interesting interesting <laughs> our minds are really weird places yes I'd oh. love to to study the minds. I mean, I am, but like, <laughs> like, isn't that what we do? Yeah. But you know, under a microscope and <laughs> everything. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes like psychology so interesting is our brains work in really interesting ways, sometimes almost counterintuitive ways. I think that's all we have for today. Thanks so much for listening. Follow Bachelor on the Couch on Instagram and Facebook and Batch on the Couch on Twitter and TikTok. Or check us out at bachelorandthecouch.com and send us an email at bachelorandthecouch at gmail.com. That's that. 
Bye.